Thursday, the 21st of September, the Feast of St. Matthew the Evangelist. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, plant in every place the seed of your gospel. We pray for the literate and for those who have easy access to many media. Grant us all the reverence of former ages for the sacredness of your word. We pray for those who are unable to read. Send preachers and teachers to open for them the the riches of your word. We pray for those who live in places where your word is banned. Bless the efforts of societies and individuals who seek ways to carry the good news to them. Lord Jesus Christ, you changed St. Matthew's life by the good news you entrusted to him. May we receive the gospel with reverence, live it in faith, and hand it on in love. We ask this through Christ our Lord, who St. Matthew proclaimed. Amen. St. Matthew the Evangelist, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. It's my onomastico, as Annie likes to remind me, because uh, my name's Matt. Well, happy uh, happy feast to all the other Matts and Matthews and Mateos and the like out there listening this morning. It is the Sunrise Morning Show, and up this hour we have so much good stuff ready to rock. We're going to talk to Father Robert Nixon, and he's going to look at the final setting in The Crown of the Virgin, this book by uh, St. Ildefonsus of Toledo, where we're looking at flowers and jewels that are reflective of the virtues of Our Lady. Today we get to talk about a daisy. That should be fun. By the way, speaking of fun, you should check out Alexi Sargent's new book. It's called Saintly Creatures. It's about animals connected with stories of the saints. It's a kid's book, and it looks awesome. Uh, Alexi's going to talk about that with Anna Mitchell. We'll discuss Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo. Uh, will discuss with us uh, Caravaggio's painting of the calling of St. Matthew, which I actually have as my Twitter header. And uh, there's, believe it or not, a debate in some circles as to which person in that picture is actually St. Matthew. So (laughs) we're going to get into that. And then more on suicide prevention with pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast as we are in this month where we are trying to keep a little bit more of a focus on how to protect people from suicide and how to heal uh, for those of us who have had it happen in our circles. So stay with us if you can. Two minutes past, here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be in Washington, D.C. today. He'll be meeting with President Biden at the White House, lawmakers on Capitol Hill, and military leaders at the Pentagon. The visit comes as Congress is currently weighing Biden's request to approve more than $20 billion in additional aid for Ukraine in its war with Russia. The prefect of the Vatican's Diocastery for the Service of Charity has been in Ukraine once again. Alatea reports that Cardinal Konrad Krajewski was in Lviv to inaugurate the House of Welcome, a shelter for women and children. This coming in the wake of a drone attack on warehouses used by Caritas Internationalis. Pope Francis again prayed for Ukraine during his general audience yesterday. Air Force General Charles Q. Brown Jr. is set to become America's top military officer. 
Trey Thomas has more. He was confirmed as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in a Senate vote Wednesday night with bipartisan support. Brown will succeed Army General and current chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, whose term ends next month. It's the first Pentagon confirmation since a recent blockade on military promotions by Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. I'm Trey Thomas. A bipartisan group of House lawmakers say they've come up with a way to avoid a government shutdown. Funding for a range of federal programs will come to an end on October 1st unless Congress passes a funding bill. President Biden is announcing that he will grant temporary protected status to Venezuelan asylum seekers and migrants. The move, which was confirmed by New York state officials, including Governor Kathy Hochul, will only apply to Venezuelans who arrive in the U.S. before July, who arrived in the U.S. before July of 2023. The move means Venezuelans granted that status will not have to wait 180 days before becoming eligible to work. Federal work authorization requirements are seen by the city and state officials as one of the major reasons that New York is now feeding and sheltering more than 60,000 migrants. Those officials also say Biden will expedite work authorizations for all migrants, cutting the waiting period to 30 days. Meanwhile, it is National Migration Week, and the U.S. bishops are highlighting the often overlooked right not to migrate. A statement from the chair of the Bishop's Committee on Migration points out that many feel forced to flee. Bishop Mark Seitz said, quote, Through our belief in Jesus Christ, we are compelled to respond with charity toward those who must uproot their lives in search of refuge. But efforts to manage migration, even when predicated on the common good, require that we also address the coercive forces driving people to migrate. As the U.N. General Assembly continues, the Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has asserted that U.N. development goals must uphold the dignity of every human person. From Vatican Radio, Sister Nina Benedicta Kropich reports. Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher spoke on Tuesday at the UN Assembly in New York, which is focused on reviewing the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. In a statement, the Archbishop recalled Pope Francis's 2015 speech at the UN General Assembly, where the Pope the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development as an important sign of hope. Archbishop Gallagher urged UN member states to accelerate progress to shift the world onto a sustainable and resilient path. He said the summit must not serve as a platform for abstract declarations, rather for taking concrete actions to address the greatest challenges of our time. The Archbishop highlighted the challenges of war, poverty and environmental degradation, as well as the pervasive throwaway culture. According to Archbishop Gallagher, the implementation of the 2030 Agenda is primarily a matter of delivering on a new model of development that has a human person at its center. He urged UN member states to work together toward the future in which the needs of the poor are met and a harmonious relationship with the environment is restored. I'm Sister Nina Benedicta Kravich. And Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal at his general audience yesterday, focusing on the example of St. Daniel Camboni, whom he described as an apostle of Africa. The Holy Father said St. Daniel saved Africa with Africa. He said... This is a powerful insight that helped renew his missionary outreach. The people who had been evangelized 
were not only objects, but subjects of mission. Of course, the Comboni missionaries, right in the backyard of the Sunrise Morning Show, they've got a, yes. a spot in the Cincinnati area. And you hear Father Rufino's voice on some of the spots around here. Yeah. An underwriter of the Sunrise Morning Show. I think Father Rufino speaks, he probably speaks at least three times as many languages as I do. No doubt. No doubt. But when you're a missionary, you, you know, got to know a few. Yeah, it's part of the thing. Yeah. I do know, like, you know, the few times that I've hung out with Father Rufino and he's coming to the studio, it could be like a stressful day, but then Father Rufino comes in and there's like a, he's got like a very calming vibe. It's like, this priest is going to calm everything down for everybody. <laughs> Even when you hear his spots, like, you know, it can be like, oh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening in the news. And he's like, oh, there's Father Rufino. Everything's okay. Right. Soothing tones. Yes. I love his voice. It's true. It's true. Well, St. Daniel Comboni, pray for us. Hey, Matt, buon onomastico. Yes. Thank you. I would also like to wish a happy 50th wedding anniversary to my Ooh. mom and dad today. Well, congratulations. Yeah. We're very proud. We're very proud. Today is Thursday, September the 21st, the Feast of St. Matthew the Apostle. Pray for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon, a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia, translator of the Tan Resurrection series. And we are closing up shop on Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo this morning. Father, welcome back. Thank you very much, Eddie. It's great to be with you. It is great to have you. So in the 24th and final setting in this crown, St. Ildefonsus chooses to place a daisy. Now, Father, I love daisies. Indeed. So I was very glad to see this. Indeed. But it was also yeah. followed by this thought, Father. He saved what is probably the least exotic flower for last. Why did he do that? Indeed, out of out of all of these extremely valuable gemstones, stars, and rare flowers, he's he's chosen the simple um, daisy flower. I think he has done this to show that above all, it was the humility, the simplicity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which was her her most precious adornment, and that this thing, um, the represented by the daisy flower. Um, is what made her so precious in the sight of God. So I think it's actually um, very assuring after so many exotic and priceless jewels to have this simple but infinitely beautiful flower presented to us as the final token of her virtue and grace. Yeah, and I, I, he hits on her humility, I think, so beautifully in this chapter because it starts by describing her grandeur. I mean, the opening verse uh, to to uh, start this chapter is 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 18. King Solomon created a great throne of ebony and coated it with shining gold. And lo, this throne was adorned with six wings. Can you talk about this and yeah. why he began the chapter this way? Yes. Um, so he begins the chapter speaking about this throne. And of course, the idea that the Blessed Virgin was the throne of God is a traditional one because um, it was she who formed his his resting place. It was uh, in, in her 
that he became incarnate. And he says, you were indeed a throne of ebony, for there are three characteristics found in her, found in ebony, which are found in you to the highest degree. Firstly, the wondrous brilliance and polish. Second, it is by nature cool to the touch. And thirdly, it grows forth from the firm, elevated ground of the most lofty mountainous region on earth. And so you, O glorious virgin, shine with all the radiance of sanctity. Your heart remains unpolluted. You sprang from the high and noble lineage of Abraham and the patriarchs as a lovely princess descended from the royal house of David. So he begins with this wonderfully uh, exalted image of Mary as the throne of God, the throne of the Trinity, before going to talk about this daisy flower, this humble, simple, innocent, and yet unspeakably beautiful flower. It makes her so approachable. I mean, I shouldn't say it makes her so approachable. She is so approachable. Indeed, that that's absolutely right. And that's one of the things we need to to remind ourselves of that because something is approachable, um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's no less beautiful or, or less wondrous. And we think about the daisy flower, a flower we see probably almost every day, depending on where we live. Um, and we can almost take it for granted. And yet it is unspeakably beautiful. He says, the daisy is a flower with pure white petals of round shape, delightful in its fragrance and decorated with a sense of distinctive golden yellow. And you, Mary, display the pure white of those pillot soul in the unstained serenity of your conscience and in your virginal chastity. As a most beautiful queen, as a dove of the whiteness of snow, as a flawless lily, you are exalted to the heights of Zion where you sing a song of glory and purity. And finally, in your immaculate heart, radiant gold shines forth like the center of the daisy flower. For in your wisdom you are brighter than the sun, and in your prudence more luminous than the glowing moon. And in your grace you transcend all the stars of the firmament. And, you know, this is such a beautiful way of describing her and makes her so approachable. And I think we should each approach the Blessed Virgin Mary, we should each approach Jesus bearing whatever simple gifts we have. They don't have to be things which are, are rare or extraordinary, but if we present them with this humility, with this purity of heart, with this complete devotion and love, then they become incomparably beyond all value. He says, through you indeed, the Son of God came forth to the world, the incarnate deity illuminating this earthly sphere, saving sinners, making the heavens to shine with a new and more sublime refulgence, and joining mortals and angels, divinity and humanity in an internal and inviolable bond of holy love. Father, can you, um, can you conclude us with the, the concluding prayer here? Yes, uh, of course, Annie. Um, Please accept, O Holy Mary, this, the crown I weave for thee, not of gold and gemstones earthly, but of loving thoughts set free. In it I proclaim thy merits, striving to declare thy praise. In it, to thy endless glory, humble tribute do I raise. Yet the awesome choirs of angels and the stars which shine above, dimly but reflect thy beauty, are but shadows of thy love. For thy mercy I entreat thee, 
for thou art my hope, my sweetness, starry heaven's splendid door. To thy Son be endless honour, who is God and Lord supreme. To thee be my love and longing, to thee be each yearning dream. Let me be dissolved in endless light, the realm of him and thee. Pity thou this wretched sinner, pray to God thy Son for me. Amen. Amen. And just quickly, Father, as we close out our discussions on the crown of the Virgin, what do you hope people take away from this book? You know, I I really hope that this book inflames in people this great love and devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, that perhaps for for some people it might renew it, um, or if it's already there, sustain it and make it stronger. Because in this love for the Virgin Mary, we're loving everything which is good. And we're loving her son, Jesus Christ, who, of course, is our Lord and Savior. And to him be all glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. We've been talking to Father Robert Nixon about Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. I have just loved this series, Father. Thank you so much for doing it with us. Thank you, Annie. God bless you, and God bless all your listeners. You as well, Father. Thank you. All right, at 17 past, we're back with headlines right after this. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com franchise opportunities available. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com EWTN communicating the faith and all the people who are working so hard to get us on radio you know that's wonderful and even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles you help spread the word and we do all the programming for you programming is the expensive stuff you know so you don't have to worry about programming and so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible EWTN Live truth. Live Catholic. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be in Washington, D.C. today to meet with the president and lawmakers on Capitol Hill, as well as military leaders at the Pentagon. The prefect of the Vatican's dicastery for the service of charity has been in Ukraine again this week, this time to inaugurate a shelter for women and children. 
And Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal at his general audience yesterday, focusing on the example of St. Daniel Comboni. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, uh, I forgot that actually today is the anniversary of uh, my wife's cousin. So Tim and Jessica, oh. uh, congratulations to you. And yes, they walked into, I don't know if it was out, I don't know when your parents got Do married. Do you but remember? Oh, they got... They walked into the reception to that song. Well, of course they did. But um, no, this was my... September. <laughs> My parents got married, I think, before Earth, Wind, and Fire were a thing. Okay. Just for context, she means Earth, Wind, and Fire, the band. She's not commenting on their ancientness. My parents got married before Earth, Wind, and Fire were even a thing. <laughs> How old are this your parents? Good point. 1973 was when they got married. I don't know what wow. time. I don't know what year that song yeah, came. I'm gonna out. have to look that up. Up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon, you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at SunriseMorningShow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. A Marian prayer from the Celtic tradition. Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Queen of Grace, Mother of Mercy. Hail Mary in manner unsurpassing, font of our health, source of our joy. To thee we night and day, erring children of Adam and Eve, lift our voice in supplication, in groans and grief and tears. Bestow upon us, thou root of gladness, since thou art the cup of generous graces, the faith of John and Peter and Paul, with the wings of Gabriel on the heights of the clouds. Vouchsafe to us, thou golden branch, a mansion in the realm of peace. Rest from the perils and stress of waves, beneath the shade of the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. For Sacred Heart Catholic Radio, I'm Father Benedict O'Kinsella. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to welcome to the Sunrise Morning Show, Alexi Sargent. He's got a new children's book from Word on Fire. Saintly Creatures, 14 Tales of Animals and Their Holy Companions. Alexi, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. I have to ask first, at what point in reading stories about the saints did it occur to you that there needed to be a book like this? I mean, was there like a particular particular story that inspired you about animals and saints? 
many stories kind of stood out to me as really fun or remarkable stories where there was friendship between saints and animals. It actually was sort of providential. Uh, uh, Word on Fire was looking to start this children's book line. I, I wrote to them with this idea, and it turned out they had this idea on their wish list, too. So we kind of combined them and created this book, Saintly Creatures, and it was a really fun process to make this children's book. Yeah, I mean, absolutely captivating stories and beautiful illustrations um, to go with them. Can you tell listeners what stories do you cover in this book? Absolutely. So there's there's 14 total. I'll run through a couple of the highlights. We've got well-known, much-beloved stories of saints like St. Francis and the Wolf of Gubbio, or St. John Bosco and his faithful guardian dog, Grigio. And then there are saint stories you probably haven't heard before, uh, like St. Helenus and the Hyena, or uh, Blessed James Heo in Bake and the Tiger. So we tried to put in a mix of stories of saints from different eras, different places, all throughout church history, and also different animals as well. And that led us to pull some saints that probably you haven't heard of before, and you'll kind of be able to add to your uh, your set of friends in heaven after reading this book. Most definitely. I mean, not that saint stories aren't accessible in the first place. <laughs> they can spark all kinds of, of wonder and awe in, in the mind of a child, but... That said, what do you think it is about animals that they would serve as this this wonderful entry point into the lives of the saints? Yeah, I mean, children love animals. And I think also on a profound level, the friendship between saints and animals illustrates something really important about the way God's holy men and women interact with God's creation. Uh, when we see these saint and animal friendships, it makes clear to us that those who are friends with Jesus are also able to love the world itself properly. You know, I really love that point because I've been thinking about this, Alexia. I don't know what you think about this, but you think about creation before the fall. I mean, animals were Adam's companions. And Mm -hmm. so when you have these saints who, no doubt, I mean, they were sinners. Let's, (laughs) there's, there's no, no doubt about that. But but they were also the ones among us, are the ones among us, who most readily resemble man in the image and after the likeness of God. So it's really no wonder that animals would be inspired to be in their original state around these saints. I think that's exactly right. Like, we have some wonderful stories here, like uh, St. Germain Cousins and her sheep, or St. Martin de Porres and the mice where the saints seem to be able to communicate with the animals in a way that uh, ordinary people uh, don't generally. And I think that is very much a uh, reminder of Eden, of kind of the way things were supposed to be between man and God's other creatures. And so these stories of saints give us that kind of profound insight into God's plan for his creation. Yeah, and there are so many stories in this book. I mean, there's a boar and St. Bridget, a wolf with St. Francis of Assisi, the tiger and blessed James, Heo Inbake, as as you were mentioning earlier, the bees and St. Rita, a hyena with St. Macarius, a lion with St. Mary of Egypt, a whale and St. Brendan. I mean, you have these dangerous animals that you would think would be out to harm us, 
and yet they become the friends of these saints. I'm wondering if you could pick out one of these stories and and tell us a little bit more about them. Let's do that story we've mentioned a couple times, the tiger and uh, blessed James Heo and Bake. So this is a story that dates from the persecution of Catholic Christians in Korea, and our main character, Blessed James, is a Christian who's already once been uh, tortured by the government. And so at this point, he is hiding from persecution. He is uh, helping to protect two of his fellow Christians, and together they've gone into the mountains, found this cave. Uh, they're you know, praying nervously, hoping they don't hear uh, the sound of you know, soldiers coming, marching through the mountains, and instead they hear the sound of a growl. And when they peek out the cave, they see there's a tiger coming in. They realize they've accidentally tried to hide in the lair of this tiger. And so Blessed James approaches the tiger, makes the sign of the cross, and addresses it respectfully, you know, saying, we are, we are passers-by, we are not thieves. If you let us hide a little longer in your cave, we will, we will depart and be grateful to you when the persecution passes. And the tiger seems to understand and seems to accede, right? You know, it, it, rather than devouring them, it withdraws from the cave. And later on, during their time hiding in the cave, they sometimes hear the sound of the tiger uh, as if it's protecting them, as if it's now standing guard and keeping them safe until uh, that, that ground of danger passes. Wow, wow, wow. It's a, I'm just getting chills even hearing a, a little thumbnail of the story. It's one of the stories that you can read in Alexi Sargent's Saintly Creatures, 14 Tales of Animals and Their Holy Companions. A beautiful, beautiful book with really awesome stories in it, Alexi. I uh, really appreciate you writing this book, and, and thanks so much for joining us to tell us about it today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. And you can find this book and all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be in Washington today. He'll be meeting with President Biden at the White House, lawmakers on Capitol Hill and military leaders at the Pentagon. The visit comes as Congress is currently considering President Biden's most recent request to approve more than $20 billion in additional aid for Ukraine. The prefect of the Vatican's Dicastery for the Service of Charity has been in Ukraine once again. Alatea reports Cardinal Konrad Krajewski was in Lviv to inaugurate the House of Welcome, a shelter for women and children. This coming in the wake of a drone attack on warehouses used by Caritas Internationalis in Ukraine, Pope Francis again prayed for an end to the war during his general audience yesterday. A new strike deadline has been announced by United Auto Workers President Sean Fain. Mark Mayfield has more. He says if no substantial progress in contract talks has been made by noon this Friday, they will call on more local unions to expand their stand-up strike against GM, Ford, and Chrysler owner Stellantis. Currently, the UAW is striking three auto plants, one from each of America's big three. Ford and GM could both lose $40 million in profits per week and even more if the union expands the strike to more plants. The impact is already rippling through the industry, as some parts suppliers say they're going to have to lay people off. I'm Mark Mayfield. Former President Donald Trump has said that Republicans will lose elections next year if they do not support exceptions to bans on abortion. Trump spoke at a rally in Dubuque, Iowa, where he said, quote, 
Without the exceptions, it is very difficult to win elections, end quote. Some other GOP presidential candidates have criticized him for calling for exceptions to abortion laws. Trump's comments yesterday follow a Sunday NBC interview when he criticized the six-week abortion bans that some states have passed. President Biden is announcing he will grant temporary protected status to Venezuelan asylum seekers and migrants. The move was confirmed by New York state officials and will only apply to Venezuelans who arrive in the U.S. who arrived in the U.S. before July of 2023. The move means Venezuelans granted that status will not have to wait 180 days before becoming eligible to work. The bishops of Haiti have put out a new statement this week urging for immediate action to stop the rampant criminal violence in their nation. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In their strongly worded statement, the Haitian bishops recalled that for at least four years now, Haiti has been going through one of the longest and most lethal social, political and security crises in its history, with armed gangs taking control of many areas of the country. Gangs have grown more powerful since President Juvenel Moise's assassination in 2021 and are estimated to control up to 80% of the capital, Port-au-Prince. Killings, turf wars, extortions and kidnappings happen on a daily basis. In the face of this traumatic situation, the statement calls into question also the cynicism and the indifference of the Haitian political leaders, as well as the hesitation of the international community. According to the Haitian bishops, the answer to what they describe as a low-intensity war against peaceful and unarmed people is not to remain passive. They therefore call on all the people of God and the ecclesial institutions to react with prayer and solidarity. The bishops also express their hopeful support to all efforts towards a peaceful solution of the crisis, reiterating to the world that this genocide must be stopped. To this end, they urge those currently in power to take strong and concrete steps towards true reconciliation and urge public authorities and other sectors of Haitian society to put an end to their complicity with armed gangs and to contribute to building political and social dialogue. I am Lisa Zingarini. Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal, focusing on St. Daniel Camboni during his general audience yesterday, whom he described as an apostle of Africa. The Holy Father said St. Daniel saved Africa with Africa. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Death, afflictions, and other disasters, which are punishments for sin, become, through the gentle mercy of God, so many steps to climb up to heaven, so many means to grow in grace, and so many merits to gain glory. Therefore it is right to say that we should love poverty, hunger, thirst, sadness, sickness, persecution, and death because they are the just punishments for our faults, punishments so tempered by divine mercy that their very bitterness becomes something to be loved. For the person who believes that God is everything, the world must count as nothing. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Leonard K. Lorenzo with the Church Life at Notre Dame. Good morning, Dr. De Lorenzo. Good morning, Annie. It's good to have you. So, in honor of the feast of Saint Matthew, we are going to be talking about the famous Caravaggio painting, The Calling of Saint Matthew. Just to kick off the conversation, can you describe this painting for us? Sure. I think many people are familiar with it. This is the scene where Christ enters, at least from the viewer's right, accompanied by St. Peter, out of the darkness, it seems. And as he enters along his outstretched arm, there's a beam of light that comes from out of the scene. And that beam of light lands upon a table of money changers gathered together involved in their craft. The one in the center of the table is pointing at himself, looking back at the beam of light. And this is the one uh, attributed to be St. Matthew. So the moment at which Christ barges in out of nowhere, it would seem, and selects Matthew, calls him forth out of what he has been into what he will be as a follower of Christ. Now, I understand you have some thoughts about this painting. <laughs> well, you know, I started thinking about this painting really because of Pope Francis when he was first uh, named Pope, and in some of those early interviews, one of the early interviews, he was asked, who are you? And of course, he famously said, I am a sinner. And then he continued by saying, I am one who is looked upon by the Lord. And he recalled this painting. He said, I'm a little bit like Matthew in that famous painting by Caravaggio. I'm one whom the Lord has come and called, and I only know myself truly if I see myself looking back along his beam of light. So that's where I started thinking about this. But in particular, over the years, spending a lot of time looking at this painting, of course, in replication online, but then also in Rome, seeing it in person, which is a completely different experience, I came to kind of meditate on it in a different way. There are three men who are huddled together at the end of this table. I started to actually question, well, is the one in the middle who's pointing to himself actually St. Matthew? And I would say, you know, it is most likely that one who, who is St. Matthew. But there is also the possibility that the one who's looking down, counting the money, the younger man, 
could that be St. Matthew? And then I even had the crazier thought, well, what about that older man, the older yeah. man who's looking over the scene? And what I came to in the end, not just to kind of lose any kind of grasp with a, a realistic view of this, is I allowed myself to start thinking, well, perhaps there's a way of, of reading this that each of those is St. Matthew at different points. The one who's looking up across the beam of light, this is St. Matthew as he's startled by the call of the Lord. But the younger sort of adult man who's looking down, still counting his money, I wonder if that is an image of St. Matthew just before the Lord comes in, or that is to say, in his life before the Lord comes to him. We're given that view, too. And then the older man who's looking in, what if that is an image of St. Matthew if he had never been called by the Lord? He becomes older and miserly and is still looking down at the money, or if he turned away from this call. This is sort of the life that he would have had, which leads to nothing except looking down at this money. And so in seeing it that way, I still think, you know, clearly, like with most people, the one who is St. Matthew here is the one looking back along the beam of light. But I think there's also an invitation for us to think about the seriousness of the call to conversion, a call that has to be heeded, that could be turned away from. But if it is turned toward, it's the beginning of a new story in Christ. Wow. And, you know, part of the reason why I think that it's fairly obvious which one is actually the Matthew that is called, I mean, setting aside your really interesting reflection here, is that the painting right next to this in Rome shows another image of St. Matthew the as he's writing the gospel mm -hmm. and looks just like the guy that's, right. that the beam of light is there. Exactly. But but isn't that so cool to think about, like, that Matthew, the Matthew that looked back on that beam of light, look at what happens in as he's writing that gospel. He's got that angel over his shoulder. I mean, it's just like, this is what is available to us if we answer that call, if we look up from our worldly cares and, and, and stare into that beam of light. Mm. Yeah, and I love that you recall the rest of the chapel there, the rest of the cycle of the life of Matthew, because what we do get in what Caravaggio painted elsewhere with Matthew is really what does take place in the rest of that story and the return, the response to the call. We see him as the gospel writer. We see him later in life in his, uh, in his death. We see this is what the life of discipleship leads to. And of course, his hope for everlasting life in the Lord, which is responded to later on. Yeah, so I want to read Luke chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything <laughs> and rose and followed him. Mm. I mean, you can't leave everything if you're staring down. Jesus is out the door as mm. soon as this is over. I mean, Matthew gets up immediately and follows him. And that young man missed it. Mm. What a great point. Yeah. And I love, you know, the terseness of Luke's account right there, which in scripture, we don't get a lot about like psychological states or thought process of any of the figures in scripture. What we get our actions. And you come to know, you come to read everything through action. So in Luke's very terse account right there, we hear the action of Christ who comes in, and then we hear the action of Matthew. We're left to sort of 
fill in, if we will, or to understand through our own experience what's involved in that response of Matthew, who just left everything behind and followed the Lord. The sort of change in perspective, that moment of fear, of trepidation, of having to let go with what you know and what you trust in. I think we have experiences of something, maybe not as dramatic as that, but something of that pull and that that pain, that internal movement to have to do that. And I think, you know, as a reader of scripture, we should allow ourselves to feel that, to feel what that internal tug and pull and sacrifice is life, because we get the actions from Matthew following Christ, and we have to know what the experience of that is like. Yeah, speaking of that reading scripture, perhaps we can close on this because we've been going through Matthew in the lectionary cycle this year, his gospel. And one thing that has struck me as we've been reading through the gospel of Matthew is just how often those who uh, seek to destroy Jesus, how easily they look the other way at all of these signs. I'm just looking at what Matthew chapter 15, when he when he feeds the 4,000 and then immediately following, they're like, give us a sign. And you're thinking, <laughs> what? You know what I mean? The, the, this, it's so easy to, to just look down and miss everything that Jesus is doing and how much more so today in our day and age. That's, that's a great point. And, you know, maybe that brings us back here to this painting. Like what would, as you were pointing out, that young man who's looking down at the money – what was he really looking for? What was he willing to see? It reminds me of the the opening of C.S. Lewis's book on miracles, where he says that, you know, in my entire life, I've only met one person who ever claimed to see a ghost. And she claimed not to believe in ghosts before she saw the ghost. And she claimed not to believe in ghosts after she saw the ghost. In other <laughs> words, what C.S. Lewis is saying is before we even get to the question of miracles or whether there have been miracles and what a miracle is, we have to open up the question of whether we are willing to believe in the first place. And he says, you know, the right position should be some kind of skepticism, like not naivete, but at least an openness to be surprised, to be pulled forward. And I think, you know, as you're pointing out there from Matthew 15, what were they looking for? They were given something to see, but it may be, it is maybe a revelation of their unwillingness to be persuaded, really. Mm. It's their demand for some kind of certainty or their own terms. Wow, some really, really important reflections we have for our own lives, too, here with Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. You can find him at linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Really appreciate your thoughts this morning. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Talk to you later. Sounds good. I look forward to it. All right, it is 14 till now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, joins us next. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, sponsored by Fathom Events, is in theaters Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Mother Teresa and Me, in theaters Thursday, October 5th. More information at fathomevents.com. That's fathomevents.com. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. 
That's centralfabricators.com. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. This is Dr. David Anders. Is God an angry God? We answer questions like these every day on Call to Communion, today at 2 p.m. Eastern. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Pastoral Counselor Kevin Prendergast, licensed counselor with lots of experience, not only in private practice, but also in forming uh, people for priestly ministry, deacons, and even lay pastoral ministers. Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. Yeah, and we've been talking um, about suicide prevention and a whole bunch of things connected with this question. And what did you want to pick that conversation up today as we continue to dive into that? Yeah, Matt, I hope last time was helpful. We talked about what are some of the signs that uh, to watch for and how do people get into that dark space. But I think there are some things we can do. I mean, the caveat is, uh, people's lives are in God's hands, uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't do some things. <clears throat> so we're powerless uh, over the final decision that people make, but we're not helpless uh, to try to make efforts to intervene out of love. Uh, so the one thing we talked about last time, which is a hopeful kind of thing, is suicide does not come just out of the blue. Uh, very rarely does that happen, I mean, the final act does. And that people are ambivalent right up until the point where they actually do something to take their own life, which means that we've got a little window of time. And that means that the rest of us around, uh, we, we can feel immobilized or paralyzed. But I think the most important thing to communicate, like suicidal people will tell me, even as a therapist, you just don't get it. You don't understand how bad my pain is. And the only answer to that is you're right. You know, unless I've actually personally been in that position, I don't really get it from the inside. But the, the most important thing is to pivot there and to say, but I care about you. You matter to me. If you weren't here, my life would have a big hole in it. You're valuable to me. I understand that you're hurting. I can't be inside your head, but I understand that. And I want to help you. And that whatever you're going through, we can work this out. There's a solution to whatever problems you have. And I think it's helpful for me. One of the questions I always try to get into the conversation is to try to have a dialogue about what is it that you want to live for or who in your life uh, would would be just devastated by your loss. So I think with parents I've had, uh, this, many times it's the children. And I will say, frankly, just because I've seen too much of this and I can talk from experience that uh, kids don't do well with the parents' suicide and they never really uh, completely recover from that. So, you know, they can go on and function, but that's going to be a permanent scar. 
and sometimes just, you know, kind of helping people to get outside of their narrow thinking. The other one we could be attentive to, Matt, is, again, it doesn't come out of the blue. So almost everybody that actually completes suicide has made some other self-harm attempts before that were not successful. Uh, so that's a huge risk factor if I know that this person has cut themselves, taken an overdose, attempted to, you know, shoot themselves or, you know, wreck their car, whatever they've tried to do. We want to really, you know, take any other indication. We want to encourage them to get help so that, you know, I want to be with you. But if, if you're a lay person, you know, to try to direct somebody to counseling, uh, I've had people who've gone along with a loved one to the counselor, to the emergency room. And then if somebody makes an actual threat, we have to take that seriously. And I know you have some listeners who are managers and in the business world. Uh, this is not something to blow off. Like, oh, well, this person's just uh, blowing off steam. So sometimes we have to take them off work, get them to a psychiatrist, uh, get them into the hospital. And a lot of times people will say, I don't want to go to the psych unit. But that's a place to get stabilized. It's a place uh, generally where, where somebody can be safe and kind of get their feet back on the ground, get on the appropriate medication. But the other one, one Matt, is uh, mo most people who uh, try to hurt themselves have actually, uh, ex you know, are usually using drugs or alcohol. And so, uh, you know, if we know that somebody has a substance abuse problem, that's a risk factor. People who are struggling with gender identity issues, gender, gender confusion, that's a huge risk factor. And we said last time, older people, especially people over 85 have the highest rate of suicide right now. So when we talk about marginalized people and reaching out to people on the boundaries uh, to really check in with our elderly, people who are alone, people who are suicidal are completely very radically estranged and alone and isolated. So in our church community, we can reach out to people. The faith part of this, Matt, is uh, one uh, we have to be careful about how we do prayer services, liturgies, memorial masses, funerals, is that we, you know, we, we have to avoid glorifying the person that ended their life. And it's a fine line to walk so that who's ever giving the message has to say, yeah, this is, this is not a good ending. We have to communicate that suicide is not ever a, a, an acceptable option. But this person was in severe pain. We can't judge them. We put them in God's care, but we want to be careful, especially with adolescents and young adults, of giving the impression that, well, this person killed themselves and now they've got all this attention. There's all these people at the funeral, and maybe this is a way that I can get some affirmation. Yeah, or uh, get back at people yeah. who have hurt me or, or some of the other things that, that can be wrapped up in that. But also, you know, mentioned— um, and I feel like we mention them, uh, you know, this this people group all the time. Uh, those who are elderly, those who are medically vulnerable, those who may not mm -hmm. have the cognitive awareness of of how to walk through these things that they once had. Right, their minds are not as yeah. sharp, and sometimes with mind sharpness, uh, you have mood change mm -hmm. as well. And I mean, yep. there's just a, a whole bunch of vulnerabilities that kind of crash into one another. Yeah, that's right. And and the other thing, Matt, is that, uh, you know, I think we can send the message to our young people, our kids and young adults, that if you hear a peer uh, posting on social media these threats, and there are unfortunately some social media sites that tell people how to commit suicide. So if we know that somebody's getting into a dark space, uh, we can tell our kids that the best thing you can do, you know, they'll a lot of kids will say, well, I don't want to rat on my friend. You know, they told me to keep this confidential. 
But that's something we can't keep confidential. Even professionals can't keep that confidential. If somebody tells me they're actively going to hurt, kill themselves, I have to take action. I have to intervene. And and I tell, I've told clients over the years, young people and older people, you know, I'd rather have you be mad at me and maybe hate me <laughs> rather than come to your funeral because I've gone to too many funerals of people who've taken their own life. Uh, and sometimes that kind of makes people sit up straight. Uh, and a lot of times uh, young people, but also older people will leak, We, you know, would be a word we sort of give, they give these little clues that they're not doing well. And we need to pay attention to those and not ignore them. And, you know, even if somebody says, well, I went to therapy before I was on medication, I had terrible side effects, it didn't work. We have to say, well, maybe you had the wrong therapist, maybe you're on the wrong medication. It's really important to try this again. So when somebody gets into that really, really deep, dark place of t thinking about taking their own life, uh, they need professional help for, for a while and they need to stick with it. And they may need our encouragement. Therapy is hard. And if somebody's dealing with these kind of issues, it's very difficult and painful. So we can encourage people and we can pray for people, let folks know that we're there, they're not alone. That's the biggest message. Well, and there are all kinds of, you know, ways that we understand from a spiritual side, too, that one of the things devil, the devil is, is an accuser, right? To tell us mm -hmm. we're terrible people, to tell us yeah. that we're awful, to tell us that we're not, we're, we're not worth anything. And our faith tells us the precise opposite, right? That God created us good. He created us for relationship with him. He created us for community and all these things. And tapping into that is so important. So thank you for these reminders, Kevin. Have a wonderful day. Yeah. God bless, Matt. Thanks. All right. We got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after the break. Please do stay with us if you can. It's three minutes till. It is Thursday, the 21st of September, the Feast of St. Matthew the Evangelist, also an apostle, one of the twelve. Let's pray for his intercession today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God of mercy, you chose a tax collector, St. Matthew, to share the dignity of the apostles. By his example and prayers, help us to follow Christ and remain faithful in your service. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Matthew, pray for us. So I uh, had in mind this morning to pray that collect prayer, that Matthew collect prayer, but I also want to make sure to pray the Our Father because both Luke and Matthew record Jesus teaching his apostles to pray, but the version that Matthew records is the version that we pray when we pray the Our Father. So there you go. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls and up this hour. We got lots of fun stuff going on. Dr. John Bergsma will discuss love and marriage in the Gospel of John. Actually, there's a there's a wedding pretty early on in the Gospel of John, if you recall. 
Rita Heikenfeld will join us for Bible Foods. Always love catching up with her today. We get to talk about grapes, and they are all over the place in the Bible. Gary Machuda will continue to look at how Jesus' teaching methods made his teachings more memorable. And then Cy Kellett will discuss St. Matthew's call as a reminder to all of us that we are being called by God to something. Maybe not to write a gospel and be an apostle, but we're all called to something. It is two minutes past the hour. News is a service of Bridgetown Finer Meats and BridgetownFinerMeats.com, as well as Central Fabricators and CentralFabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be in Washington, D.C. today. He'll be meeting with President Biden at the White House, lawmakers on Capitol Hill, as well as military leaders at the Pentagon. The visit comes as Congress is currently considering President Biden's request to approve more than $20 billion in additional aid for Ukraine in the war with Russia. Meanwhile, the Vatican's the prefect of the Vatican's dicastery for the service of charity is in Ukraine once again. Alatea reports Cardinal Konrad Krajewski is in Lviv and inaugurating the House of Welcome, a shelter for women and children. This coming in the wake of a drone attack recently on warehouses used by Caritas Internationalis in Ukraine. Pope Francis again had prayers for the battered nation during his general audience yesterday. Air Force General Charles Q. Brown Jr. is set to become America's top military officer. Trey Thomas reports. He was confirmed as chairman of the Joint Chiefs appears that that is not going to work, but he was just recently confirmed by the Senate and will be taking over for General Mark Milley, whose time as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff ends next month. President Biden is announcing that he will grant a temporary protected status to Venezuelan asylum seekers and migrants. The move was confirmed by New York state officials. It will only apply to Venezuelans who arrived in the U.S. before July of 2023. It means that Venezuelans granted that status will not have to wait 180 days before becoming eligible to work. Federal work authorization requirements are seen by city and state officials as one of the major reasons New York City is now feeding and sheltering more than 60,000 migrants. Those officials also say Biden will expedite work authorizations for all migrants, cutting the waiting period to just 30 days. Meanwhile, it's National Migration Week and the U.S. bishops are highlighting the often overlooked right not to migrate. A statement from the chair of the Bishops Committee on Migration points out that many feel forced to flee. Bishop Mark Seitz said in his statement, quote, through our belief in Jesus Christ, we are compelled to respond with charity toward those who must uproot their lives in search of refuge, but efforts to manage migration, even when predicated on the common good, require that we also address the coercive forces driving people to migrate. As the UN General Assembly continues, the Vatican's Secretary for Relations with States has asserted that UN development goals must uphold the dignity of every human person. 
From Vatican Radio, Sister Nina Benedicta Kropic reports. Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher spoke on Tuesday at the UN Assembly in New York, which is focused on reviewing the 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. In a statement, the Archbishop recalled Pope Francis's 2015 speech at the UN General Assembly, where the Pope described the adoption of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development as an important sign of hope. Archbishop Gallagher urged UN member states to accelerate progress to shift the world onto a sustainable and resilient path. He said the summit must not serve as a platform for abstract declarations, rather for taking concrete actions to address the greatest challenges of our time. The Archbishop highlighted the challenges of war, poverty and environmental degradation, as well as the pervasive throwaway culture. According to Archbishop Gallagher, the implementation of the 2030 Agenda is primarily a matter of delivering on a new model of development that has a human person at its center. He urged UN member states to work together toward the future in which the needs of the poor are met and a harmonious relationship with the environment is restored. I'm Sister Nina Benedicta Krapic. Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal at his general audience yesterday, focusing on the example of St. Daniel Camboni, whom he described as an apostle of Africa. The Holy Father said St. Daniel saved Africa with Africa. He said... This was a powerful insight that helped renew his missionary outreach. The people who had been evangelized were not only objects, but subjects of mission. And several agencies and farm staff in Pennsylvania are still working to recover as many as 800 minks that officials say were released from a fur farm. It happened at the Richard H. Stahl Sons Farm outside Sunbury early Sunday. Police say someone cut holes in the fence that surrounds the farm to let the animals escape. It is not clear who released the animals and the incident remains under investigation. I only have questions. I, 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 I take that back. I was going to say I had a whole bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. Anna Mitchell, I really only have one question. Yeah. Who let the minks out? Who? 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 Oh, Matt. I was going to say that if anyone is outraged by this, you clearly haven't watched 101 Dalmatians. Mm. Think about it. Cruella wear mink stuff or just Dalmatian? Um, I think in the movie she's only wearing Dalmatian fur. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if she had some minks in her closet. It's just like Dalmatians was the the fur of choice. 101 minks just doesn't roll off the tongue. No, not as good. But, you know, you wonder if there's going to be a movie come out of this. Maybe so. I don't know. We'll see. I'll keep you posted on any developments. Whether they recover the minks. <laughs> minks in the wild. <laughs> the Dalmatians, the Dalmatians got loose. Have they been spotted? Yes, their whole lives. Today is Thursday, September the 21st. It is the Feast of St. Matthew. Turn off his mic, Paul, but Matt, happy feast day. Buono Mastico. And, by the way, happy 50th wedding anniversary to my parents, Tom and Cindy Mitchell. 
Admaltosanos. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Berksma. We have been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, we have spent a number of weeks looking through the Old Testament to get a better grasp on on how the Word of God reveals the love of God for his people. Today, we are going to start looking at the New Testament and, of course, the Gospels first. So, We've talked about the Babylonian exile and the return and and this great expectation of a Messiah who would be sent to the people of God. Now, Doc, by the time we get to like the incarnation and the nativity, how would you describe the expectation at that time? So it's kind of at a fever pitch because Daniel, in his prophecies, predicted that it would be roughly 500 years until the coming of Prince Messiah. And there was different calculations of how long it had been, but everybody figured that roughly 500 years had elapsed since Daniel. So everybody was thinking, you know, it's got to be sometime around now. And that's around the time that Jesus was born. And, yeah, people were definitely looking for the Messiah at this time. Now, your chapter here focuses on the Gospel of John, and I want to get back to John in a second, but John does not talk about the earliest years of Jesus in the way that Matthew and Luke do. So could you take us through the the narrative? (laughs) <laughs> the nativity narrative and and sort of what what kind of marital imagery can we glean from that? Yes, well, there's something very subtle, and that is, you know, the wedding of uh, human nature with divine nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus is a marriage in a person, so to speak, right. um, yeah. the wedding of divine and human, and that's actually why if if we pay attention, Anna, uh, coming up here in December. Um, a couple of days before Christmas, we're going to read uh, from the Song of Songs. I think it's on December 21st. Um, when um, we're going to read Song of Songs chapter two, which talks about the bridegroom bounding down out of the hills to invite the bride to come away with him, and it seems kind of odd to be reading that just before Christmas, but its spiritual sense is divine nature coming down out of heaven and inviting human nature, as it were, to run away with him and be united to him forever. And that's what happens in Jesus. But speaking of the Gospel of Matthew, we get some beautiful nuptial images, Anna, very early on with the coming of the Magi. And we don't always see it, but these three gifts that the Magi come, uh, that come bearing, uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh, especially the frankincense and myrrh, are only mentioned together in the Bible in romantic contexts, where frankincense and myrrh are like, um, you know, romantic perfumes, you know, expensive stuff like you'd buy in the duty-free shop in the airport, (laughs) things like that. And uh, in in the Song of Songs, for instance, um, Solomon and his bride, you know, are smothered with frankincense and myrrh and other uh, sweet-smelling colognes, if you will, uh, as uh, as they're courting one another. So that 
uh, bespeaks that. And, and of course, the, the wise men coming from the East to visit Jesus, that calls to mind the last time that wise men came from the East to seek out a son of David, and that was under the reign of Solomon, who was also the great uh, romantic figure and the uh, main character of the Song of Songs. So Jesus is being shown to be a new Solomon and a a new bridegroom already from uh, his infancy at about two years old uh, in Bethlehem when the wise men come. Wow, and how beautiful, too, to think about it in in the sense that the Magi, I mean, presumably they they didn't know what they were uh, sort of illustrating here that you're just bringing out to us, you know, like here we are giving this to the divine bridegroom. Um, and yet they represent to us like all the nations, right, coming to the Lord, this invitation that we've talked about so many times in in the Old Testament that the people of God somehow seem to overlook, um, but but here they are these these Gentiles bringing these uh, these spices to the divine bridegroom. Absolutely, um, and that theme of um, you know the uh, God's Messiah becoming the the covenant and indeed even the bridegroom for all people you know, runs the Old Testament. Solomon, uh, you know, was kind of bridegroom of the whole world. Uh, he went about it the wrong way, trying to individually marry every single woman. But uh, uh, the, the, you know, he, he was attempting something that our Lord does in the right way, which is offer himself as the bridegroom for the whole earth, only monogamously, because together we make up one bride, we make up the church, um, but uh, definitely, you know, open to all the nations. Uh, the Messiah is not only for Israel, um, but he's he's a spouse uh, for all of our souls, um, no matter what part of the world we come from. Now, let's move into John to just close out this conversation today, because I want to get into all of these stories um, in their own segment, Doc, but but can you just kind of give us an overview of how the love of God is revealed to us in the Gospel of John? Absolutely. Well, one of the first the first miracle of our Lord... Um, you know, recorded in the Gospel of John is the wedding at Cana. And of course, in ancient Judaism, uh, the bridegroom was the one who was supposed to bring all the wine. Well, at this wedding at Cana, the bridegroom doesn't do a good job, as we know, doesn't have enough wine. And Jesus steps in and does the bridegroom's duty by providing the wine. And he provides it in enormous abundance you know, 180 gallons of fine French import. You know, it's, it's tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars of wine. And that is a symbol, and we'll get into this more in future weeks, but that's a symbol of just the overflowing love of God that he has for his people. Yeah, that is definitely what we will cover next time. We'll also, as we go through John, cover the woman at the well, We'll cover the uh, the anointing at Bethany and, of course, the passion as well. And uh, very much looking forward to unpacking these stories with you in the next couple of weeks. In the meantime, encourage folks to pick up Love Basics for Catholics, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bergsma, thank you. 
Absolutely. Talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right. 17 past. Back with headlines right For over this. 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky will be in Washington today. The prefect of the Vatican's dicastery for the service of charity has been in Ukraine once again. And Pope Francis continued his catechesis on apostolic zeal, focusing on St. Daniel Comboni at his gen- general audience yesterday. News at the top and bottom of each hour. Every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, you uh, were kind enough to wish me a uh, a happy name day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, I get doubled up on this one because I live in the Archdiocese of Washington. Oh, yeah. Of whom St. Matthew patron. is patron. The cathedral in D.C. is the Cathedral of St. Matthew. And you might say, ah, I wonder why they picked St. Matthew for Washington, D.C. Well, let's think about who he's patron saint of. Tax Accountants, collectors. bankers, currency exchangers, customs officers, money changers. Money managers, <laughs> stockbrokers. They need St. Matthew. And tax collectors. St. Matthew, pray for us. Full time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. A meditation from St. Augustine's Confessions. Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you. You were within me, but I was outside, and it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness, I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. Created things kept me from you, yet if they had not been in you, they would have been not at all. You called, you shouted, and you broke through my deafness. You flashed, you shone, and you dispelled my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. I drew in breath, and now I pant for you. I have tasted you, now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. It is time for Bible Foods, and to join us in that conversation every week, we have Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, and and we have been picking uh, wild fox grapes, the fruits ripe, and in June we were picking the the leaves for uh, making dolma. So this is a good time of year to talk about grapes. Well, this is a food that shows up all over the place in the Bible, Uh, and actually, are they... I mean, they've got to be one of the top most mentioned plants in the Bible, right? Yeah. um, From what I could gather, Matt, um, it's mentioned more than any other plant um, in the whole Bible. And when you think about it, though, think about this. Grapes were were important not only culturally but economically, too, as income and and barter in biblical times. And just because of how much the grapes were used in everyday life, that's why you see it so often symbolically in Scripture. And the teachings um, of Jesus especially, right? I mean, he uses vineyard imagery all the time. Oh, yes, yes. And um, I love the passage in John in chapter 15, talking about Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him brings much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Yeah, I always think about that verse uh, in connection with the sacraments. Uh, which are kind of the way that we have this connection to this sort of lifeblood of grace in the church. And if we're branches, we got to go be connected to that vine. <laughs> you know, go to mass, receive the sacraments, stay in that, stay in that relationship. Uh, so the people who Jesus was talking to would have known uh, these images because they were surrounded by grapevines, and they knew what a grape grapevine was supposed to look like and how that whole process worked. Oh, yeah, that's right, Matt. Um, As you said, it was so familiar to just everybody. They didn't have any trouble understanding that meaning in John, that the grapevine, think of this too, no matter how uh, well tended, it can't bear grapes if the main stem, through which, of course, the branches get nourishment, is cut off or not uh, attended to properly. And um, here's what I found out. I thought this was really interesting. From what I can understand, the grape clusters were really large in Bible times, and I have read that they were so heavy and big that they were carried on a stick between two men. I mean, think of that visual. 
Yeah, that's uh, I believe in the book of Joshua when uh, there were the people going in to check out what thing, what kinds of things are going on in Canaan, and they see they say, "Well, they got a lot of grapes, that's for sure." <laughs> so uh, it's a it's a pretty cool little little story. It's a symbol of exactly how that uh, land that was going to be flowing with milk and honey was also going to be flowing with grapes uh, as well. So in order for grapes to grow well, I mean, anybody who pays attention to wine culture would know this. You've got to have the right conditions. Oh, yeah. You know, the soil, just like today, had to be just right. Um, and back then, there were so many stones in the soil that they, of course, had to be uh, taken out of the soil. Uh, so that was pretty labor-intensive before they could even plant. And then they, they had hedges or walls built around the vineyard. Well, that, of course, was to keep thieves out. That makes sense, I think. Um, and as I mentioned um, earlier, we picked the wild grapevine leaves in the spring and um, early summer in June, and I still have a wild uh, grapevine climbing up our garage near our chicken coop. Um, and it's always so much fun for me to take the grandkids along our old country road and by the garage to pick those, grape, those wild grapevine leaves to use, as I said, stuffing. And then right now, the grapes are ripe. They're really, really tiny, so it takes a ton. Um, but we make what we call fox, wild fox grape jelly out of them. And you think of grapes, they're so healthy. I know that you've given your kids grapes, and we know that the darker the color, the better the grape is for you. And they're so full of fiber and even antioxidants, and um, they're good for your uh, prostate, motor skills, heart, eyes, tummy. I mean, they're just wonderful. And here's an, uh, another little tip. If somebody's a little bit feverish, if you give them a bunch of uh, chilled or even frozen grapes, not only uh, gives them a boost of nourishment, Matt, but uh, grapes act as a refrigerant, so it, they cool the body a little bit. And I know, I think you have, um, and I know Annie has done this, frozen, taken grapes off the stem and frozen them for your kids to have, like during the wintertime when they're not so much in season. I've done that, but I tell you what I did a lot more of growing up was uh, canning and making jam and jelly. And you got a recipe for this. We had a we had a grapevine in uh, my backyard when we were a kid at one of the places that we lived, and we used to love doing this. Uh, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. And then of course you know, put them on a sandwich and take it to school. Oh yeah, how fun! Yeah, and the recipes I'm sharing. Um, they're really easy. They're refrigerator or freezer grape. I've got one for grape jam from grapes. And then I've got a great jelly recipe uh, just from frozen or bottled juice. So I'm going to be sharing both of those on my site. Um, and it's especially easy for busy people who don't especially like to um, do the canning, you know, process the, the jelly, et cetera. These are, again, they're refrigerator and freezer grape jams and jellies. And they keep in the fridge for, uh, gosh, months and then a freezer for a year. And all they are, grape juice or grape sugar, water, pectin, and a little lemon juice for one of them. So it's really easy and a great way, like you said, take a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with homemade grape jelly to school. You can't beat that. I know. And that lemon juice is really so important because, you know, sometimes when you cook through a fruit, it loses a little bit of its flavor and edge, and sometimes that lemon will revive it a little bit. This works really well in cobblers and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got that right. All right. Well, I'm thinking cobblers because I know we're going to be <laughs> hitting fall a little bit harder soon. I'm sure you're going to have some ideas in that regard also. Rita Heikenfeld, 
Uh, we've got abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks for sharing your recipes. I know that our listeners love sending you their recipes as well. And we'll talk to you soon. Yep, next week, Matt. All right. Yeah, head on over to About Eating. All kinds of great stuff there. Lots of practical things. You know, you go to some recipe websites and you're like, ah, I'd make this if I had seven hours to cook. Read is much more practical and sensible than that. Check her out, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be in Washington today to meet with the president at the White House, with lawmakers on Capitol Hill, and with military leaders at the Pentagon. His visit comes as Congress is currently weighing a request to approve more than $20 billion in additional aid for the war with Russia. The prefect of the Vatican's dicastery for the service of charity is in Ukraine once again. Alatea reports Cardinal Konrad Krajewski was in Lviv to inaugurate the House of Welcome, a shelter for women and children. This came in the wake of a drone attack on warehouses that were used by Caritas Internationalis in Ukraine. Pope Francis once again prayed for the battered nation during his general audience yesterday. President Biden, meanwhile, plans to host Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for a meeting at the White House before the end of this year. Biden and Netanyahu met on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly yesterday. At the start of their meeting, Biden told Netanyahu he hoped they would see each other in Washington by the end of the year. Yesterday's sit-down was their first one-on-one meeting since Netanyahu returned to the prime minister's office last December. A new strike deadline has been announced by United Auto Workers President Sean Fain. Mark Mayfield has the story. He says if no substantial progress in contract talks has been made by noon this Friday, they will call on more local unions to expand their stand-up strike against GM, Ford and Chrysler owner Stellantis. Currently, the UAW is striking three auto plants, one from each of America's big three. Ford and GM could both lose $40 million in profits per week and even more if the union expands the strike to more plants. The impact is already rippling through the industry, as some parts suppliers say they're going to have to lay people off. I'm Mark Mayfield. Air Force General Charles Q. Brown Jr. is set to become America's top military officer. He was confirmed as a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in a Senate vote last night with bipartisan support. Brown will succeed Army General and current chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, whose term ends next month. Former President Donald Trump said yesterday that Republicans will lose elections next year if they don't support exceptions to bans on abortion. Trump spoke at a rally in Dubuque, Iowa, where he said, quote, Without the exceptions, it is very difficult to win elections, end quote. Some other GOP presidential candidates and pro-life groups have criticized him for his recent comments on abortion. The comments yesterday follow a Sunday NBC interview when he disparaged the heartbeat laws that some states have passed. The bishops of Haiti have put out a new statement urging for immediate action to stop the rampant criminal violence in their nation. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. In their strongly worded statement, the Haitian bishops recall that for at least four years now, Haiti has been going through one of the longest and most lethal social, political and security crises in its history, with armed gangs taking control of many areas of the country. 
gangs have grown more powerful since President Juvenel Moise's assassination in 2021 and are estimated to control up to 80% of the capital Port-au-Prince. Killings, turf wars, extortions and kidnappings happen on a daily basis. In the face of this dramatic situation, the statement calls into question also the cynicism and the indifference of the Haitian political leaders as well as the hesitation of the international community. According to the Haitian bishops, the answer to what they describe as a low-intensity war against peaceful and unarmed people is not to remain passive. They therefore call on all the people of God and the ecclesial institutions to react with prayer and solidarity. The bishops also express their hopeful support to all efforts towards a peaceful solution of the crisis, reiterating to the world that this genocide must be stopped. To this end, they urge those currently in power to take strong and concrete steps towards true reconciliation and urge public authorities and other sectors of Haitian society to put an end to their complicity with armed gangs and to contribute to building political and social dialogue. I am Lisa Zingarini. Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal at his general audience yesterday, focusing on the example of St. Daniel Comboni. It's 35 past the hour. You start your day a better way by listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. Soon you'll be able to watch as well. That's right. Starting September 25th, you'll be able to watch the Sunrise video stream on social media and at sunrisemorningshow.com. You'll also be able to see the faces of the regular Sunrise Morning Show family. Plus, you'll get to see what my hair looks like first thing in the morning. And whether I ever crack a smile at Matt's terrible jokes. Spoiler alert, she does. Sunrise goes to video September 25th. Tune in at sunrisemorningshow.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is an indulgence? An indulgence is the remission, in whole or in part, of the temporal punishment due to sin. An indulgence is like this. Imagine that you had a great debt, and in order to pay it off, you had to have recourse to your uncle who said, Listen, I have plenty of money. I'll pay for some of the debt, and I'll help you out. Now, that's precisely what it's like when we sin, is we need to put the good into the world that we have taken out of the world. But sometimes, we don't have enough good in us, and so we have to do penance. And so an indulgence is basically asking the Lord to send down extra grace upon us through the merits of the saints and, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so an indulgence is not something that can be bought or sold. Rather, it's a free gift given to us by God so that we might reduce the amount of penance that we have to do for our sins. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda from Hands-On Apologetics. I very much encourage you to go check out his website for all kinds of great resources to help explain the faith, explain things like why your Catholic Bible 
has more pages in it than your Protestant friend's Bible. And we've been going through his book, The Gospel Truth. Gary, good morning. Morning, Matt. So we've been looking at uh, basically the way that Jesus teaches in ways that you know can be easily remembered by his hearers, and he's mapped some of them upon Jewish history. Uh, what is it that you mean by this idea? Well, um, yeah, in terms of uh, mapping on Jewish history, uh, well, basically I, I, I call it topic formatting, and that is, you know, we all know the basic history of the United States, and if you're teaching something, like map something on it, you would make allusions to various things in history, and that puts it in order, that brings out key characters, and it also kind of flushes out some of the background information. And I, I think the, the primary text, although I'm sure he does it elsewhere, is Matthew sixteen eighteen. And this is one of those passages I think most Catholics are very familiar with. It's where Jesus names Simon Rock, or Peter, and he says, And I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, what's interesting here is that there are three allusions to three different types of government in uh, Old Testament Israel. Uh, for example, uh, when he names Simon Rock, uh, there is only one human being in the entire Old Testament that the metaphor of rock is assigned to, and that's Abraham in Isaiah 51, 1 through 4. And so there's an allusion to the patri patriarchal period. Then you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which, you know, the keys of the kingdom was a visible sign that was used you, you know, throughout the ancient Middle East, for a particular office within a kingdom, namely the prime minister. So you have an allusion to the kingdom, you know, also a key government structure in the Old Covenant. And then you have binding and loosing, which in Jesus' day, this would have been common parlance for the rabbis. The rabbis could bind and loose, uh, that is, uh, allow things to be, or, or prescribe things to be believed, or say that certain things are heretical, or perhaps even excommunicate people. So here you have in this short passage Jesus alluding to three different kinds of government in chronological order. It is pretty fascinating. I never really heard about it broken down quite that way, but as you're saying it, if, I mean, we we kind of hear people doing these sorts of things. I mean, we'll hear it a lot on the campaign trail, where people will invoke certain concepts and thoughts by doing so they're meaning to invoke sometimes larger documents so if someone says life liberty and the pursuit of happiness in the course of the campaign trail they're talking about the uh declaration of independence or they may talk about our nation being conceived in liberty and that's lifted from the gettysburg address and you know the people who know those things are like oh well you know this person is trying to invoke this whole spirit of abraham lincoln in the process, in some ways, kind of trying to compare right. what they're doing to Abraham Lincoln uh, or compare what they're doing to what the Founding Fathers were doing. This is something that happens a lot in our country, and we're familiar with it because we know our country's history better than we know the history of other countries. But it makes sense that Jesus would do this 
with a group of people whose like whole entire world is built around hearing the story of themselves all year, every year on a cycle. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and the other thing too, is, uh, that, um, the, um, oh, what was I going to say now? I'd lost my thought. Uh, you know, in apologetics, sometimes people say, you know, show me in the Bible where the papacy is. Where does it say there's one bishop that's the head of the bishops who has succession that will ultimately be in Rome, and, you know, and he'll have all these powers? Well, if you look in the New Testament, there's nothing like that, and that's because God already kind of gave this story beforehand, you know, in the, in the Old Covenant. So Jesus doesn't have to come and stipulate every little detail about how he's going to structure his church, because that's already kind of been laid out beforehand. He just has to, you know, make those little uh, allusions, like you mentioned, like how we do to the Gettysburg Address and things like that. And immediately the hearers would know, oh, okay, he's he's making Simon the prime minister of his kingdom. He's going to be a father figure like Abraham, and he's going to have authority like the rabbis. Well, and part of this comes from, and I think you and I have talked about it before, what my colleague Kenny Burchard, who was a Pentecostal pastor, uh, refers to as ecclesial amnesia, uh, because we don't have the memory of the Church preserving all these sorts of things and concepts over time. If we were coming from a Protestant background, we would just be picking this up and saying, well, let me let me see what I think it means based on just the words, <laughs> right? Yeah, right and, right. and you can't do that. There's a whole bunch of reasons you can't do things that way. One of them is because we don't have uh, gospel accounts of even Jesus's daily Jewish prayer life, even though we know he would have had one, right? We know that Jesus would have prayed the traditional Jewish prayers because not only is he a, you know, good Jew, he's also a God who gave all these things to the Jews. And yet we don't see his morning prayers really much at all, right? We see him make reference right. to the morning prayers, but there's all kinds of stuff like this that would have been in the mind of his hearers that aren't in our minds because we're not, we're not, that's not the air that we breathe in 2023. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I, I talked with, I think it was with Annie last time, or uh, last time I talked to her about this, how Jesus maps on to Jewish feasts and, and Jewish ceremonies and Things like that, and again, like you said, it's part of the air that you breathe. It's part of just your everyday life, you know, year in and year out. And Jesus taps into that, and like you said, you know, 2,000 years after the fact, where we don't experience this, uh, we see it on the page, but we don't make the connection. But back then, it would have been cemented in their memory. Yeah, yeah. I mean— Think about just little things about our own history, and, you know, people can lament how much, uh, you know, people don't actually know American history, but if I say celebrate freedom, right, and independence, uh, everybody knows which country I'm probably talking about, (laughs) right? (laughs) And they probably know which holiday I'm sort of locating myself near, right, with uh, the 4th of July. There's all these things that are just so embedded into us. And we forget that these are the kinds of things that have been embedded into people all the time, especially the chosen people of God. Uh, So, Gary Machuda, if our listeners want to get a copy of your book, The Gospel Truth, how do they do so? Well, they can go to stpaulcenter.com and pick it up right there. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. All right. Back right after this. It's a quarter till. (laughs) 
We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic Radio's there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. 13 till. Here's Anna with headlines. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is in Washington today to meet with the president, with lawmakers and with military leaders. The prefect of the Vatican's dicastery for the service of charity was in Ukraine this week to inaugurate a shelter for women and children. And Pope Francis yesterday continued his catechesis series on apostolic zeal at his general audience, focusing on the example of St. Daniel Comboni, whom he described as an apostle of Africa. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till. Honored to be joined on the Sunrise Morning Show today by the host of Catholic Answers Live, Cy Kellett, joining us here. Good morning, Cy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. And you've got a piece in Catholic Answers magazine reflecting on the calling of St. Matthew. You know what I thought was interesting in your piece? You wrote about what would have been sort of the mutual negative repercussions, both for Matthew as well as for Jesus, um, in Jesus deciding to make him an apostle. Can you speak to that? Yes, I think, I mean, the main thing I tried to focus on was the negative kind of rippling effects that could affect Jesus. He kind of paid a heavy cost to call Matthew. But Matthew, to start there, he's in a very particular position as a Jewish man of his time. He's a traitor, really. He's working for the Romans. You know, he's a tax collector. And he's somehow, probably because he comes from a cosmopolitan family, he's learned multiple languages, because to do his job, you'd have to be able to speak Latin and Greek and the local languages. And so he's an educated person, 
but he's kind of, you know, almost a, a mafia-like figure. And so there would have been a cost to Matthew. He would have been mocked, really. But also he would have had to move out of the kind of safety of his protection of the Romans into what could potentially be a Jewish mob of, of people who would, would harm him when he, got, when he literally got up immediately from his post and, and followed Jesus. So that's the cost that Matthew paid, kind of a fearsome cost. He, he doesn't know what he's getting into in leaving the protectors, you know, his Roman protectors, to go out among the Jews. And for Jesus, the cost is he is being followed by what we know are good Jews. I mean, Peter is a good person. Same with Andrew and James and John. These are men who went out to see John the Baptist. They're obviously wholesome, good Jewish men. And then the the news of Jesus spreads, and out from the city, out from Jerusalem, come the Pharisees and the scribes, because they need to test Jesus to find out, is Jesus the Messiah? So this is who's following Jesus, good Jews and Jews who claim, you know, to be the leaders of the community. And right in front of all of them, he calls a criminal. And so there's a social cost to Jesus. Like, why is he calling this traitor? What is this all about? And so, and we see the, the, the apostles paying and the disciples paying that social cost that night when the Pharisees say to them, why is your master eating with tax collectors and sinners? It's a sincere question on their part. It's negative, and, and they obviously don't understand the, the prophets. So they're not right to ask the question, but it's kind of a fair question. And their whole reason of being there is to find out, is Jesus the Messiah? And right in front of them, he begins to associate with tax collectors like Matthew and sinners, you know, Matthew's friends. So this is a very dangerous moment for Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to them, Sai? Well, <laughs> we don't know what happens between Jesus and his disciples, between the good Jews like Peter, who the gospel has already assured us and give us the evidence of their genuineness, their sincerity in practicing their Jewish faith. But we do see Jesus get angry with the scribes and Pharisees. Because the prophets have taught that the Lord requires mercy, not sacrifice. He's not interested in all of that. But they've forgotten mercy. They're living a merciless kind of religiosity. And this is the thing that's dangerous. And this is why we so often, in my view, see Jesus almost as an anti-religious person. And I think that many Protestant people misinterpret that. And, but what he's negative towards is a religion that is merciless, that has forgotten the mercy of God. This is a dangerous kind of religion, and, it, and it's inhuman, and it can't include people like Matthew. And, and the thing about Jesus, he loves Matthew. He wants to include Matthew. And you get the sense that Matthew was intrigued by him. Because when you look at Matthew chapter 9, and I hope that you'll reflect on this, it begins with Jesus healing the paralytic. Now, the calling of St. Matthew begins in verse 9, but in verse 8 it says, when the crowd saw it, the healing of the, the paralytic, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Then the very next verse, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office yeah. and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. That means Matthew was right there watching this, don't you think, Sai? I think this is what we're supposed to understand, is Matthew knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And the fact that Matthew rose to follow him, and many, many Bible commentators have pointed this out. Matthew did not stand up. He did not get up from his 
tax collector post. And what does that mean? I think the primary meaning of it is Matthew knew that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is proving right in front of everyone that he's the Messiah. He's giving the evidence that you would look for. And what we know now about the Jewish history of the time is there was enormous expectation of the Messiah everywhere. So it's obvious who Jesus is, but Matthew, poor Matthew doesn't get up. Why doesn't he get up? He doesn't think that the Messiah will want him. He doesn't think that he's part of that. And how awful that must have been to be a Jewish person and to know that the Messiah is in your midst and to have decided I'm excluded from that because I'm a tax collector. There's no way that he would want a person like me. So the fact that Matthew is sitting when Jesus approaches, that he's not like the crowd. He's not even like the scribes and Pharisees who got up and came all the way from Jerusalem. He's sitting at his post thinking, this is not for me. And the Lord, is he surprises everyone, most of all Matthew himself, and says, follow me. And that's what I think where Matthew, the writer of this gospel, is trying to tell us, this, these words are for you, too, that no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, he looks at you and says, follow me, and get up and follow, because everything changes after that. Well, you know, as you were talking there, Sai, I, I was looking at the story of the paralytic and the story of Matthew, and, and something stands out to me here, because Jesus forgives the sins of the paralytic, and, you know, they're all questioning whether he blasphemes. And he says, which do you think is easier, yeah. to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk? And then he says to the paralytic uh, a verse later, rise and take up your bed and go home. And then when you hear Jesus call Matthew, follow me, right. it says he rose and followed him. You're seeing the resurrection of a sinner. Isn't that beautiful? It's exactly right. That's what Matthew is communicating. And, you know, because it's Matthew's gospel, you have to read it as he's very intentional in what he's telling us. But I think your insight is beautiful, and I think it matches perfectly with this idea of the really fierce love of Jesus here. He just doesn't care what the social cost is. He's coming for you. And if you're willing then you can rise and follow. All he wants is you, and he doesn't care what anybody thinks about it. You're the one he wants. Such a beautiful reflection that you have in Catholic Answers magazine, and listeners can find it at catholic.com. And we will look forward to hearing you later tonight on Catholic Answers Live side. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I love your work. The feeling is mutual. Thank you so much, Cy Kellett. Start your morning with Cy Kellett. End your workday with Cy Kellett. Hey, Matt, buon onomastico. Thank you. Have a good feast of St. Matthew. I'll do my best. Good. Good. I don't know. Uh, maybe make, make myself a cake. You should. You should do something to celebrate. I'll do something. I'll figure it out. Maybe tacos. Don't count money. I won't count money. Don't count the cost. What you do, you do got to count cost. Just don't count the money. There you go. Maybe. I don't know. You should have a budget. <laughs> Just want to make sure. We're sending some mixed messages here. I know. I, I didn't All mean I'm it the way that you're interpreting it. St. Matthew, pray for us. Pray we'll for talk us. to most of you all tomorrow on EWTN. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.